Well, hopefully you guys had some good discussions in your small group. And you'll have another opportunity to do that after this session. So we're going to go ahead and start session two. For those that are kind of still straggling in. So what we're going to do, in what, what, what I've um, thought about, and you could probably have more than four, but we're going to look for the remainder of our time today at four virtues of godly manhood, four virtues. So we're going to look at the first two in this session and then the second two in the second session. And by no means are these exhaustive, but just as I've been thinking and praying and studying, these are just some things that I think that we as men need to hear. And so Doug Wilson defines masculinity well. He says, simply put, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. I like that, sacrificial responsibility. So let's look at four key descriptions of a biblical man, and here is number one. Here's the first trait or virtue or characteristics, and we're going to unpack this together. So here's number one. A godly man is a bold leader. A bold leader leader. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think there's a lot of boldness in our culture today from men? Do you think there's a lot of leadership? Okay, so you take those two together, bold leadership. Now, God created men to lead. You need to hear that, okay? It is okay to have the impulse to lead, to rule, to have dominion. That was what God created Adam to do. So let's go to the beginning of the Bible. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And this is before the fall, okay? So we need to understand in our Bibles the difference between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3. There are some things that God has ordained before the fall, and there are some things that have been impacted negatively after the fall. So as we look at Genesis 1, let's just look at verses 27 and 28. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. One of the things that God has created men especially to be in his image is to rule or have dominion or to lead or to have authority. We also see in Genesis, it should be Genesis 2.15, not 3.15. Does yours say Genesis 3.15? That's a good passage of Scripture, but that's not the one I want us to look at. That's a really good passage, but actually Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We're going to come back to what that means, but I want you to notice that before the fall, before Adam fell into sin, God created him to lead, to work, to cultivate, to shepherd, whatever word you want to use. So, here's the point. 
Leadership for men is natural. You should naturally, as a man, have a desire to lead, to rule, to achieve. But that can be perverted and abused because of the fall. So let me give you an example. It's natural for a young man to want to pursue a relationship with a young woman. None of us here would say that's wrong. Right? If, if there's a young man that sees a young woman as a, as a godly wife, there would be nothing wrong in wanting to pursue her in a godly way to have her as a wife. There's nothing wrong with that desire. How does it turn bad? How does it turn sinful? Well, it turns sinful when that natural desire for a woman becomes lust, becomes manipulation, becomes abuse. Then that natural desire becomes sinful. So here's a good quote from a book, Masculine Christianity, probably one of the better books that's come out by Zachary Garris. I like what he says here. It is not a matter of whether men will rule, but which men will rule. Men will lead. That's not an issue. The question is what type of men are going to lead. Because God has naturally wired us to be leaders, to be achievers. Foster and Tennant in their book, It's Good to Be a Man, which is also another good one. Men today desperately need to hear this message. There's no hint in the Bible that your aggressive instincts are a result of the fall. You are not, in other words, a defective woman. Your desire to conquer and subdue, to hew down and build up, to form and to shape has nothing to do with the curse. It's man's natural pre-fall created purpose. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Have you ever noticed that passage of Scripture before? Act like men. And notice the words that are surrounding that passage of Scripture. Stand firm. Be strong. Be courageous. Act like a man. So here's a question you may need to be asking yourself. Do I display courage and conviction? We need more than ever men of courage and conviction. Am I passive or am I leading? Now, this desire to lead, and I said this earlier, is often simulated through video games and binge-watching action movies. I have this natural, manly desire to lead, and I don't have an outlet to do it, so I'm going to go do video games to give me that outlet, or I'm going to binge-watch action movies. And so there's, we almost have this culture where men don't have an avenue to lead. It has to be simulated through video games and things like that. Now, there's also another thing that plagues modern culture. There is a sin, maybe not a sin, that's maybe a strong word, but sometimes we can be faulted for being too nice. The sin of niceness. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a difference between being 
a man of gentleness and displaying the fruit of the Spirit and being a people-pleasing man who's nice and just wants to get along and doesn't have any conviction. So we want to be men who are fruit of the Spirit. We want to be gentle. We want to be kind. But we also want to be men of conviction. There are a lot of men that just, let's go along to get along. Let's just kind of do the thing that's the least problematic. You are a leader, whether you know it or not. You're a leader of your wife. You're a leader of your children. And men, we're to be leaders in our churches. And you're leaders of the culture. When there's a vacuum in male leadership, two things happen. And you've probably seen it. When men don't step up and be leaders, two things happen. One, ungodly men grab power and do ungodly things. If there's a vacuum in leadership, men are, men are born to lead, so the wrong type of men are going to lead, the ungodly men. Or number two, women will take the leadership in places they were never meant to do and put them in positions that go against their feminine nature. Now, this may, be very dis- this may be something you've never heard before. I'm unashamedly going to say this, and this may ruffle some feathers. Women were created to be helpers to men, to bear children, and to be nurturing. We've been conditioned by 50 years of feminism, even in the church, that the following statement may sound radical to you. God created women to be followers, not leaders. Now, that may sound misogynistic. That may sound sexist. But the Bible is very clear that men are to take the leadership in the home. Men are to take the leadership in the church. And men really should take the leadership in culture. And what our culture is telling us right now is the greatest problem is toxic masculinity or abuse. And I'm not downplaying those things, but I think one of the most significant issues that's happening in our culture right now is the feminization of every area of culture, especially in the church. Now, men have been told you shouldn't be assertive, don't take initiative curb your aggression. Those ambitious impulses you have to lead, basically, we're told to be a woman, but with different body parts, okay? Don't be assertive. Don't be a leader. The problem is, men are created to be ambitious, to take initiative, to solve problems, to conquer mountains, to fight dragons. Men are created to do that. And the problem is we're not having outlets for young boys to be able to healthily express that. This desire to, to lead. So what it's going to require is this. If, if men are created to lead and there's a vacuum of leadership where bad men will step in and lead, It's going to require something of us men. And here's what it's going to require. It's going to require of us to have wisdom. Because your natural desire for ambition 
competition, initiative, aggression are not your enemies, but they must come from the fruit of the Spirit and wisdom. So here's the challenge we have as men. We're going to lead. We need to be assertive. We need to be ambitious. We need to conquer mountains. We need to be leaders. But it needs to be done in the fruit of the Spirit, not in the flesh, or we may end up being those types of bad leaders that we talked about. Because God has naturally wired us to be assertive, ambitious, and those are good things when channeled in the right way with godly desires. So Proverbs 4, 11 through 14 says this, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, you will, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of the instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. We need wisdom to be the type of courageous leaders God's called us to be. Now, courageous leaders, we work hard. We show initiative. We're bold. We're courageous. Now, what are, what's the opposite of these things? Cowardly, lazy, and lack of initiative. And let me just say this. If, young man, you're looking for a wife, those are not things your wife is looking for in you. Cowardly, lazy, and taking no initiative, you're not going to attract many godly women. Proverbs 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. 1 Corinthians 15.58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. W- work hard. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So I will say it again. This is very important. The issue is not whether men will lead or not. The issue is what kind of men will lead. Men will lead. We're wired to lead. If you don't lead, somebody up will step up in the place and lead. It may be an ungodly man, or it may be putting your wife in a position she was never meant to do, but you were created to lead. So the question is, are there going to be a bunch of Cains, Pharaohs, and Absaloms running around, or are there going to be godly men? There are a lot of Cains in this world. There are a lot of Pharaohs in this world. There are a lot of Absaloms in this world. Where are the oaks of righteousness that are strong in Christ? So we can be bold leaders and godly leaders at the same time. You see, boldness requires conviction. Conviction and courage go together. If you have conviction, that means you have strongly held beliefs, but sometimes you don't have the courage to act out on them. If you, if you have conviction, you need to act out on that conviction with courage. 
We need to be strong. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Psalm 31.24, be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord, be strong and courageous. And I love Galatians 1.10. Paul says, I am, not, I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Are you a man pleaser or a God pleaser? Too many men seek the approval of other men, give in to peer pressure, and don't have conviction. They live for popularity. They live for the path of least resistance. They live to be liked as opposed to standing for conviction and saying, I could care less what others think. My main audience is Jesus Christ, and I'm going to face him one day. So am I going to be a man of conviction? 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Not a spirit of fear. Ephesians 6.19-20 Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Boldly. Colossians 4, 2 through 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Okay, one of the greatest needs in our culture today is for men to speak with boldness and clarity. You can be bold and not be clear. You can be clear and not be bold. We need both. Courage and conviction, boldness and clarity, whatever you want to say, we as men need to be bold leaders. And let me just say this, it is hard. It's hard to be a leader in today's culture because what are we afraid of? The pushback, the ostracization, the ramifications. I've prepared my church for me to be in prison one day because of hate speech. It's a reality. If, if, if we're going to stand up for biblical truth in this culture, there will be a cost. And men, women are looking at us to be the leaders. It's not fair to put them in the place of being a courageous leader when we're not standing in the gap and saying, we're going to be on the front lines. You would never send your women to the front lines of battle. The men would go first and we would say, we're the courageous leaders in this culture. So the, the, the first mark of a biblical man is that we are bold leaders. We have conviction. We have boldness. We have courage. It's not a matter of if men will lead. It's what type of men will lead. And I want godly men to lead. Lead their families, lead their wives, lead the culture. So that's number one. Here's number two. Second mark of a godly man is that he is a sound theologian. That's a big word. I didn't know I was a theologian. R.C. Sproul said everybody's a theologian. It's a matter of whether you're a good one or a bad one. It's not whether I am a theologian. Basically, a theologian just means what you understand about God in the Bible. 
sound. Okay, so you can be the most courageous, convictional man, but not have the truth and not know what you're talking about. So you also need to be the leader of your wives, the leader of your family, the leader of your churches in sound theology. Now, what does sound theology mean? It means healthy. It means, it means orthodox. It means true. Okay? So let's look at some of these things, that, especially 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So false teaching disagrees with sound teaching, sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Are we not in that day right now? Itching ears. People are wandering away. People are deconstructing all the time. Do you guys know what deconstruction is? There's this movement out called progressive Christianity where a lot of these supposedly former Christians are now deconstructing where they're basically coming to reject Christianity and become atheists, and it's called deconstructing. What was that? Apostasy. Titus 2, 1 through 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is talking about elders in the church. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And then we have a, a wonderful church in town that's named after this, Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews, and some translations say the Bereans, this is the Jews in the town of Berean, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. You're examining the scriptures daily. Now, I want to show you how Paul addresses the issue of manhood with sound theology here. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Okay, so God has gifted, and we're not going to get into an argument about how many gifts are around today, but um, let's just say there's, there's two of them there. Um, for our... For our more charismatic friends, there may be five, but uh, we won't go down that path this morning. So, these leaders, God has given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And notice what Paul says there, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul talks about being tossed to and fro on the, wo- to and fro on the waves. Many years ago, my wife and I went to Cancun 
on vacation. And I've told this, this story before. My wife likes the beach, but she doesn't like getting in the water. I like getting in the water and jumping around and playing. So she, so she was on the beach, and I remember our hotel, and so I'm out in the water playing around, and, and I didn't realize the undertow was so bad. Next thing I know, I look up, I'm like, where in the world am I? I was like a, like a mile down the beach. <laughs> didn't even realize it. So I got up, and I walked almost like a mile all the way back. And she's like, where did you go? And I'm like, I was just out in the water. And she's like, I didn't know where you went. Well, I, had, I, I wasn't paying any attention. I was just out there having fun, but the current took me so fast, so quickly, and I didn't even perceive it. That's what happens when you don't follow sound doctrine. You can be swept away very quickly without even knowing it, tossed to and fro on the waves of false doctrine. So we need to be men who stand for the truth. All right, I'm going to take you to the end of the Bible, okay? So you're at the beginning of the Bible. I'm going to make you just do some Bible drill. Go to Jude, not Revelation, but go to Jude. Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude chapter Jude. First Jude. It's right before second Hezekiah. So, um, if you're going to be a sound theologian, it requires something. And as men, we need to learn to do this. Jude 3 through 5. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be contending for the faith. That's, that's where we get our word agonize. It's the Greek word agonizomai. It means to, to agonize, to wrestle. Now, we aren't wrestling or fighting other people. But we are contending for the faith. So part of being a sound theologian, part of being a bold leader is there may be some things that I've got to wrestle with and come to grips with and be strong with and be settled with. I, I've, got to, I've got to contend for the faith. I can't just sit down and, and, and not contend for it. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. And notice it's called the faith, not a faith, the faith. What does Paul say in Galatians 1, 6-9? I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And there is no other one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And if we have said it before, so now I say it again, if anyone preached to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. Okay, so here's what Paul's saying. If for some strange reason an angel... And sparkling gold comes into this sanctuary, comes up here on the stage and says, Pastor Sean, step aside, let me preach because I've got a word from the Lord. And this dazzling angel begins to preach and blasphemies come out of their mouth. What are we supposed to say? Literally what Paul says is go to hell. That's what it says. Let him be accursed. Let that person be, be damned to hell. 
Let that person be accursed. So, so Paul is very strong with the gospel, the truth, once for all delivered to the saints. Not subjective feeling, but truth rooted in history and what Christ has accomplished and in the inerrant, inspired, authoritative, infallible word of God. When you ask people on the street or when you talk to your friends, how many times have you heard somebody say this? Well, I just kind of feel it in my heart to be true. I just kind of feel it. What do you say to somebody like that? How many people base their truth on feelings, not upon the truth of God's word? We must battle and wrestle for the faith. And why is that? What does Paul or what does Jude say here? These men have crept in. We don't know exactly who they are, but verse 4, they they crept in unnoticed. They snuck in. Most false prophets that are wolves in sheep's clothing are not going to show up in your church with a name tag that says, Hello, my name is Wolf. They're going to sneak in. And as men, you need to be protecting the gates of your family and the gates of your church from false teaching. You're the gatekeeper. And what are these guys doing? They're perverting God's grace. In other words, they're basically, it's cheap grace. It's the big word for it is antinomianism. They're they're going against God's law. They're, They're denying the lordship of Christ. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So we need to be sound theologians, and that means we need to contend for the faith. And let me just say this. When you contend for the faith, that doesn't mean you're a jerk. You can boldly, clearly, solidly stand for truth in a way that is not jerkish. That's a term. But you need to do it. So one of your highest priorities, men, is this. We must be saturated in the Scriptures. Now, what do I mean by saturated? What's saturation mean? What happened yesterday here in Sterling, at least? We had a long, slow, steady rain. We hadn't seen a rain like that in a while. Farmers, would you rather have a long, slow, steady rain, or would you rather have a hailstorm come and just wipe it away in one? What do you want? A long, slow, steady. We need to saturate ourselves in the Scriptures, marinate ourselves, be be rooted in the Scriptures. Uh, Psalm 119, 9-11. This is a good word to the young men here. Young men and boys, and this is addressed to you. How can a young man keep his way pure? You want to be pure? You want to walk with Jesus, young man? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you storing up God's word in your heart? Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are you letting God's word dwell, live in you? Are you, this is a funny quote from Charles Spurgeon. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he had a way with words. He said, sometimes when I prepare to preach a sermon, I like to sit a soak 
in the text. I like to take a bath with the Bible. And then you're like, what in the world is he talking about? So, so think about it this way. When you take a bath, what happens when you stay in the water too long? You get all wrinkly, like, okay. So Spurgeon's like, I want to be in the Bible so much that, it, you know, it's, it's in me. So that when I stand up to preach, it just comes out. It's, it's in me. So you want to saturate yourself in the Scriptures. You want to abide, as Jesus would say in John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide, live, where? In my word. You are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do you know you're truly a disciple of Jesus? If you abide in his word. If you're dwelling in his word, if you're saturated in his word. So the questions you need to ask this is, are you growing in your knowledge of scripture? And men, let me say something to you. Are you staying ahead of your wife? I'm not saying it's a competition, but I'm saying, are you the spiritual leader of your home in that you're, you're learning ahead of your wife. Now, I'm not saying your wife can't learn, and I'm not saying your wife shouldn't grow, but I'm just saying sometimes, men, wives tend to take it more by the bull by the horns, and they get into the scriptures more than we do. Are you leading your family in family worship? Are you catechizing your children? You know, we encourage the parents in our church to catechize their kids. We use the Baptist catechism. We actually have some copies out there, and every Sunday morning, we do a question from the catechism. Um, Family worship, are you leading in family worship? We've got some resources out there as well that we give our, our parents to help in family worship. So we think about these two virtues. The question you've got to ask, am I a bold leader and am I a sound theologian? Am I a man of conviction and courage and am I a man that's strong in God's word? Those are two godly virtues that we need today in our world. Men who are courageous, men who are convictional, men who know the scriptures and aren't afraid to stand up for those scriptures.